0: Well, hi have folks, to this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, October the 4th. 2022, this is episode 3175 of the Survival Podcast. We'll have a very abbreviated introduction because this is our first Tuesday coffee chat with myself, John Willis of SOE Tactical Gear, and Nicole Sauce of Living Free in Tennessee. I do these once a month. I generally don't put them out as episodes on the Survival Podcast. I let uh, Nicole Sauce do that exclusively today we're both putting them out in our podcast feeds i'm tired i just spent a week away uh we'll talk a little bit about what was going on because we'll talk about the self-reliance festival that i was just at and i spoke at did several panels did a standalone presentation co-instructed with billy bond uh for a full uh course on gilding and planting uh food forests. uh more now i also drove up there and drove back had a great time but uh I'm really kind of like in that put-your-life-back-together mode uh, that you're in when you've been gone and you come back into your regular life. So with that, we'll skip all the other housekeeping items for today, and we'll just drop into the live feed. This was a fun discussion. The people in the live feed liked There's a lot of wisdom points in it. There's actually two things in particular in this that I made notes on that I will probably be doing an entire episode on in the future uh, a thing that Nicole said and a thing that John said, and I I, I really didn't dig into them when they said them, but uh, they kind of lit a fire on me to talk a little bit about lifestyle design, so uh, that episode might even happen Thursday, for all you know. With that, let's drop into the live feed, me, myself, and I, along with Nicole Sauce and John Willis.
1: Alrighty, everybody, we're live. Welcome to the Tuesday Live Chat. I've, I feel like I just saw you guys yesterday, though. It's kind of funny. But we're on with Jack Spearco and John Willis. How are you guys doing this, this Tuesday morning?
0: Great. Great. Tired.
1: Great. Why are you tired, Jack?
0: I don't know. Some, some crazy group guy and a chick asked me to drive all the way to Tennessee for like a week, but it was fun. But you got to drive that car. I did get to, that was the first time I really got to open it up long term too. It was yeah. pretty fun.
1: Yeah. Well, we just got back from SRF yesterday too. what did you guys think of the event overall? Tell me, tell me your thoughts. Tell everybody your thoughts. Guys in the audience, if you have questions, do put it in all caps and we'll start and I'll, I'll feed them in as we can. And the other thing is if anybody pretending to be John Willis, Jack Spearker or Nicole Sauce asks you to go off in private chat and send them Bitcoin, that's not us. We would never do that. I've I won't, even, pretty-
2: I won't <laughs> even message you. Like I'm not even. Having- <laughs> Not that I'm asking for money. I won't even reach out to you. So yeah. where did that go?
1: Uh, he just probably had a blink. Uh, so, John, you get to say your impressions of Self-Reliance Festival. I don't know. Yeah.
2: That was like weird. I don't, I don't even know yet. You know how you decompress and, like, it's, it's just still – there's so much of it there that it has to settle a little bit to even form all the thoughts. Um Incredible. Out of control. Um, so much there. Like I didn't even, I don't even know some of the people that present. Like I couldn't even tell you everything that presented. Um, all the presentations and stuff. Every time I went someplace and I'm bing, 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 bing all over the place, but there's a group of people everywhere. And, and they're simultaneously almost the entire time. There's three different uh lectures or, you know, presenters presenting at the same time. It's just, it's awesome. Awesome.
0: I kind of felt like the biggest upgrade was all of the demos. Like the yeah. dude with the, the grit, the, the gray mill that he was running yeah. off the tire on his truck where he hand carves the stones. And then the sawmill dude, I'm like, I think I need to get one of these. And I'm like, how much does this cost? He's like $50,000. I'm like, I think I need to hire somebody with one of these it was amazing because I've watched these YouTube videos of people, that get their own bandsaw mill and they're like the 3500 to $10,000 one. And it works, but it's, you know, all day to cut a small pile of lumber. So they're like six months to cut enough lumber to build their cabin or whatever. It's just yeah. dipping. And it was freaking perfect. And it, you know, it, I, you also could tell, like, it wasn't just the machine. Like there's an art to that. And he knew exactly what he was doing. But watching him take this piece of pine and cut a certain amount of like two by six out of it and then leave a freaking six by six post that was actually six by six instead of like whatever the hell they make a six by six now. So uh, that what, was pretty badass.
2: So what you get for that $50,000 is human being doesn't have to touch the wood. The machine yeah. puts yeah. it up, it indexes it, and then it has a, that particular one has a computer system on it. And you tell it what size you want. You tell it what size is the wood, and it will give you your options to auto-nest the overages to still have a usable product at the end out of the trash.
0: And that was pretty yeah. amazing how automated it was. He was still doing something, though, where he was measuring, yeah. where he was uh, yeah. leveling, I guess, and making sure the log was level. And like he said, the only time he had to touch the log was to get it to the machine. So he had a log jack, and he would roll it up to the machine, and like a crane picks it up and drops it in. I'm like, that's the way. That's the way right there.
2: And in a perfect world, you use just a little mini X with a thumb on it. And even for <laughs> yeah. chainsaw, uh, you lift that up and, and bucket, you cut up your lumber. And it's like outdoor with the Morgans has they're they're tied in pretty tight with Wood Miser. And their whole channel started just as a firewood channel. And it's it's enormous now, the channel that they have.
0: It was pretty cool. And then the dude that had the mill, that dude's got the full on Mountain Man Tennessee accent. Yeah, he needs to totally this year as a viral thing around Christmas time, like right after Thanksgiving, he needs to read T'was the Night Before Christmas and just put that out as a YouTube video. I guarantee you that dude will get millions of views if he does that.
1: Yep. There's actually a redneck version of The Night Before Christmas because I had Tactical read that once. It's yeah. hilarious because they change all the words and redneck guys them.
0: He needs just to read the, the the classic version, right? I would listen to that over and over with my grandkids. <laughs>
1: yeah. Salima says, I miss one festival and everybody else decides to go. That's what happens when you miss it, Salima. <laughs> yep.
0: Guys, my, my yeah, feed. Is.
1: John's having a little bit of internet problems for some reason. My so. little <laughs>
0: Mac headroom action. Feed. Both. He's you are so
1: yeah, so he needs to maybe... I wonder if he's on the right internet connection there or if we're just having it. Oh, John's back. He's back. Maybe he's so not back.
2: John's on Starlink. My, my my stuff's good, but I'm not seeing either of you guys. It, it, Jack's talking uh-huh. super slow motion. Nicole, you keep cutting out altogether. And then mind blink, So I don't, I don't know where, where this is. I don't know what's up.
1: Okay, so, so guys I, in the comments, um, are we cutting out? That's the question. Tell us in the comments, are we cutting out? which one of us is coming out. That might help us figure it out. But Jack and I are seeing each other and John, we just heard you. Are you back? I'm here. Yeah, he's there. Okay, good. Looks like
2: the whole time Jack was talking about the uh, redneck Christmas or the night before Christmas. It was super slow, slow motion.
1: Okay. They were saying, John, we get to blame you, John,
2: John. Okay. Yeah, I might I might duck out of here if that keeps happening.
1: Yeah, hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it was just sometimes intermittent things happen on the streams, and that is how streams are. Okay, you guys ready for the first Chinese fortune of the day to comment okay. on? All right, the best way to navigate through life is to give up all of our controls. Good I want to hear what you two have to say about that one.
0: Yeah, we're not doing that one. No, <laughs> no. No. I, I would say you could modify it to all our illusionary controls.
1: I would agree right? with that.
0: So there's a lot of shit people think they control in life that they don't, and that therefore they actually give up control of what they do control. So Yep. Otherwise I'd say that's a failure as a fortune.
1: Let's tell that one to two alpha males. How do you feel about giving up all your control to navigate life? <laughs> Not happening. It, it, it,
0: And all in life, in other words, like all at all times. Like if I'm in a situation where stuff's messed up and I don't know what I'm doing and somebody there clearly does, I will totally drop in behind that person and let them leave that. But my whole life, you can go, screw yourself. I'm not giving up control of shit.
1: All right. Okay, so, Jack, you've been talking all about October 4th and keep your eyes out on October 4th. And the first thing I saw from you this morning is, see, I told you. And you posted on Twitter and all I'm seeing is everybody's like, what, 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 what? Jack, tell us what. And I told people you'd say something on the on the podcast. So I mean, on the
0: when the whole shit started with Russia and Ukraine, I said, the best you get out with now is these territories that have been in a civil war with Ukraine proper for eight years that no one talked about is actually what it was, which is a civil war. Russia will somehow control at the end of this thing. And so a lot of stuff was coming up about October 4th. It was on October 4th. We're going to nuke each other. And I I didn't say much about it publicly because I didn't want to dogpile under that crap. But what I told you over a few Manhattans this weekend was watch October 4th. Russia will pull back into the territory it actually wants to control, declare it under Russian protection, some sort of sovereignty, either Russian territory or sovereign into itself under Russian protection, and then say, don't, don't fuck with this. Well, That's exactly what they did. Of course, immediately Ukraine forces are invading that illegally annexed territory, which whether you believe it is illegal or not, that's what's happening, right? Um, and this is, this could be really bad long term because now what Russia will say is any attack here is the same as an attack on Russian soil. And so as long as that stays between Ukraine and Russia, which it isn't, but the way that it is right now, there's this really tenuous, like balance. But if, if now, if Europe, the United States, anybody fucks around directly with that, I mean, that, that is your precipice to world war three, which is totally avoidable right now. But,
2: but do you not feel like they want world war three, that, that whole industrial military structure we have to, to establish, you know, establish the economy and for them to be able to graft money off of those big contracts,
0: yeah, that has
2: to happen, and it's not currently there. But this would put that all back in motion. We need another. They need another twenty-year war.
0: Yeah, but they don't benefit from an actual full-on. Now the scary shit is like, and I shit you not, you'll have to look this up because you're not going to believe me. There are people making the case right now that a limited nuclear war would be good for global warming. Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. No, I'm serious. And it's like the, the peripheral rags, like the left wing rags right now, like the eco shit. But like that's how that shit always starts. It starts out there and it migrates into the mainstream narrative.
1: That hurts my head. I mean, just that anybody that head. says
0: that should just be freaking put in a hole and buried with a backhoe. I like, I mean, like, we don't need you. And with the pedophiles, you go done. There's,
2: there's so much talk over the nuclear stuff. And, and I watched a few of them, you know, a year ago when they started talking about it, but. I'm just kind of of the. I have real shit to do, and uh, that is something that I absolutely cannot control. No. I don't. I don't take any of that in. Literally none at all. I don't take any of that. Oh my God! Nuclear war into this, into that. Like, I don't think anybody on here can fucking affect it or control it for
0: sure. No.
1: Nobody I know. I don't have access to the red button.
0: It was pure speculation, though. I think that the people John's talking about when he uses the term "they." Would most benefit by the belief that we could go into nuclear war at any minute because it's exactly how they benefited it from 1950s all the way through the 1990s. Like the actual act of starting to toss the luff balloons around. And I don't know that there is a such thing as a limited nuclear war. The problem is maybe those fucking idiots think that there is.
1: Yeah. Like once says, takes- when was was that area last Russia? 1900s? Do you know? I don't know.
0: Depends on how you define Russia. Right. If you if you start from the premise that Ukraine was never actually a country. For for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it was a disputed territory. Right. Uh, then what's Russia? Um, was last under Russian control, I would say, when it was a province of the Soviet Union, it was under Russian control. That was for my entire adult life until the Soviet Union broke up in the in early 90s, late 80s, right? So I don't know. Now, Russia proper? Who the hell knows? But the people of the Donbass region are like 98% ethnically Russian. They speak Russian. And this is why I think the whole like we're the ones keeping this going. If you're Zelensky and you really want you say what you want, the easiest thing to do would be just let Donbass grow because it doesn't do much for Ukraine. If you do that, you take the people that actually vote against his party, and you put them down to a tiny minority, and they have every election for the next hundred years.
2: Not only not only that, I mean, look at the election prior to us putting Zelensky in place. Oh yeah, what, what did those people? What did the people vote for? And who knows if it's real? Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, who knows who was controlling that election either? Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the last one we had.
0: Yeah, yeah, but like, if you really want like complete total dominance within your nation. Like, wouldn't it be great if you could, if you were the Democrats right now and Texas wanted to secede or Florida wanted to secede, the smartest thing you could do is go buy, buy. There wouldn't be another Republican run, one election for a hundred years. That's the only balance that holds that in place is having those big states. So basically Zelensky could do that on a much smaller scale. And they were, we probably need to move on. Cause like John said, we can't control shit but they were like this close to an agreement that was exactly this all the way back in the spring. And our people went in and told the Ukrainians, no, you will not do this. You will not do this. I heard somebody. Go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I heard
2: somebody say yesterday, attention is energy and energy is the largest commodity that you have. And, And basically what she was saying is when we pay attention to all this stuff, we're not working on things that we can actually create. And when we do put the energy into something that we can affect, that shit no longer matters. Um, I heard a lot of people leading up to SRF, including people I knew that were coming to SRF, that did not come to SRF because of what was supposed to happen on the 4th or whatever the last bullshit thing. The 24th. Yeah. Yeah. Mother, yeah. People like people like literally like I'm not com-. and I get it. I've done a lot of that and I have missed out on a lot of shit in my life just in case, you know.
1: Yep. It's funny how that happens. Like I, I, I've been impacted by that a few times in my life, too, where I'm like, I can see this thing's coming and I'm just not going to fly to X state and then nothing happens and I miss out. You do that once and you learn from it, you move on. I feel like
2: okay. I do it because i am comfortable right it's just comfortable for me to not have to make the action and therefore comfort always breeds complacency i have a lot of complacency in my yearly calendar just built off of comfort right and i think i use those more as an excuse than the than them actually being a real reason
1: mhm comfort is a thing <laughs> yeah like and
2: that's what Everybody wanted to talk about, but what if this? What if that? What if you know? What yeah. if they come for? Like, you've never. Come on, you You've got nothing to worry about. You've never lived in a place where when you turned the water, water didn't come out your faucet.
0: Yeah, my my favorite two hatred questions were, where do you hide your guns and where do you hide your food during our panel? I would. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. That's what I I'm talking I about. I just turned. Right? I like. I'm like. It
1: was so, know, so great like to watch little Jack. Little. He was like. I'm not even making eye contact with anybody.
2: I didn't have any nice words that were going to come out of my mouth. But I I mean, I guess I've been that guy though. Right. Because, because we did in San Diego, like we did have a couple of egress routes out of the city that we lived in. And we did have fuel cans stashed on the route on the way. And we did have buckets stashed in places. And the question always was once they come in, Along these roads or where we're going, where we have this stuff, once they come in and put fences up, what is the value for us to recover these things versus just writing them off? And the problem would always be if you, if somebody did have firearms stashed there, and especially if they were a firearm that could be traced back to somebody, right? It's, it's never a problem till it's a problem. It's never a problem that a person has stuff until the tornado picks the safe up that has the stuff. And launches it, you know, five miles away when it lands. And that, that's when the issue ensues.
0: Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I think egress out of cities is a great idea. I have a whole series on how to do things like that, but it's, it's less about stashing stuff along the way. It's like, Hey, there's a giant hurricane. It's about to destroy the island I live on. Maybe I should get out of here. eh? right? Like just yeah. happened in Florida, like this whole caching things. Like I think the other thing is like people that get into that rabbit hole. And I don't even like calling it the rabbit hole. The real rabbit hole is a good thing, right? The real rabbit hole is growing your own food. The real rabbit hole is understanding technology, et cetera. But in that that false rabbit hole, like this whole idea that the government's going to round us all up and they're going to surround everything. And, you know, worst case scenario, maybe if you live in a major metropolitan area with 2 million people or more in a relatively compliant space, they can do that. The hyper competent nature that would be necessary to surround Places as remote as Camden, Tennessee, or The Holler, or dare I say even my unincorporated area of Tarrant County that's not that far from Fort Worth. Our government does not have that capability, right? So unless you live in these urban shitholes, shut up and go put your garden in. First of all, yeah. I don't think we could even... Find the hauler, much less get to it. No, they would <laughs> fall off the side of the road in the creek on the way. Up. I dare adduce that. Like, the confidence yeah. I've seen in military truck drivers, take a five-ton freaking cargo truck and drive up that road. You won't make it. Right. There's like I've seen, I've seen a semi in the
1: creek truck. here on its side.
0: Yeah, I, I've pulled them <laughs> out with, with, with freaking Hammett wreckers in the middle of Honduras. I can tell you, even the drivers aren't that confident overall
2: most so most of the people having that when you talk to the people about how do we hide this stuff the and any time we we actually actually pursue it what is what does this stuff look like and they've got like until, if you're worried about four buckets that's always hey how i i want to invest in silver and gold i'm like cool are we buying monster boxes what are we doing they're like a monster box no i want to buy like a couple coins then it doesn't it doesn't matter where you buy, buy a a it
0: coins. Coins. go buy it yeah
2: that's and that's it's I think they have the conversation. I think for entertainment, maybe right. And I think that the entertainment, it it just suppresses the action. Like you want to, you want to store a bunch of stuff. Go buy an old building, put all your shit against an internal brick wall, and then brick between that, right? But I don't have enough money to buy a building. Well, you've got a lot bigger problems. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, you do. Yeah,
1: and and I think I do think when people first see. They like wake up having thought the government was there to help them and to help people, and taxes are paying for that, and wake up and they see what's really up. It yeah, is natural yeah. to have fear and to be like they're gonna take all my stuff, and it's hard I think initially to have the context that you don't actually matter to them. No, Your four no. buckets of stored food or even twenty five buckets of stored food yeah. are matter not at all. So, so during no, COVID.
0: Most of these people, the amount of food that they have, if the thing they're afraid of happens, but it's not the government would get to the point to want to go out and confiscate their food. They're already fucking out of their food and starving anyway. I mean, just to be blunt, like these people have like four weeks of food. And for a lot of them, it's kind of like when you get a little bit of money for the first time, like you never had that any money before. And you start worrying about what do I do with my money? You know, people, are, I need to invest. Well, how much money do you have? $5,000, shut the fuck up and keep saving, right? That's yeah. that's the response to that. So they have like these these buckets of food and they've invested their whole life in it. It's natural to think somebody's going to come take it. But in the scenarios that these people are working out in their mind, that food is gone before anybody comes to take it. Your problem is you don't have enough and you have no plan for ongoing sustainability of making food. Unless you're rich beyond the means of 90% of people who will listen to this, you will never store enough food to exist without the need for anything from an outside source or your own production systems for like a year, let alone two or three or whatever fantasy these people got from watching Red Dawn for the 87th time. So, so you need a way to produce food and you need to let go of the fear because you'll never do the shit you need to do while you're, you're walking around in fear. You just won't.
2: When you have $10,000 or less to invest, you don't have anything to invest. You invest that in yourself. And you put yourself into a position where you can make $10,000 a week or a month, whatever. But $10,000 is nothing to invest. That's, that's just how that goes. And I, and I know where this is coming from. We have such access to prepper fiction now and especially a new prep. I do it myself every day. Instead of watching YouTube and one of your favorite YouTube fear prepper channels. Oh my God, with the clickbait. Instead, I listen to. You know, prepper fiction, right? And we have such prepper fiction now that we've got 15 books in a series. So I've got a month worth of prepper fiction. And the common theme in all of these stories is that we're going to turn the electricity back on, but for your town to get it, everybody has to turn their guns in. So you have half of the town fighting the other half of the town and they're telling on this half. And you can turn your stuff in and we'll put you in these in these comfort camps, which are basically a, a work camp is what they turn out to be. And there that's a huge theme. So people just breaking into the genre. We used to have to get on AR-15 and go to prep or fiction and we used to actually have to read it. And you'd spend an hours. That's how I met David Crawford. That's how my name is on the back of his book. Nowadays, we can just put the earbuds in. While I'm working on the farm or while I'm walking around pretending to ignore people and I can just absorb that. So I think that's where a lot of that comes from. Now during COVID, our sheriff is very solid. The chief of police, however, said 10 o'clock curfew, we're pulling over everybody we see. Well, James tested that. James is like, Hey, at 10 o'clock, we'll be driving around and we're going to Walmart. Does anybody want to go? They pulled over a couple of people that never happened again after that. But the thought was there for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: I love yeah. this comment from Carrie Brown. Uh, he's from stronger resources. I've decided to sacrifice a certain amount of opsec in order to have people to our place to learn and build community. I'd rather those people be able to take charge of their lives than live in fear.
2: Right. And, and with that said, like every, I think everybody can find this place. But when it time when it comes time, that multiple people from different directions want to come to this place, they're probably not going to be able to get down the interstate much less get to the exit of the interstate. Like if, if there's a mass exodus, it only takes boo boo lafufu ran out of gas or got a flat tire. And I mean we see what that looks like on a daily basis. Imagine if you had five or six or ten of those. It's just it's it's it is it a concern? Yes. But I mean once you hit the interstate it's a 35 minute drive to even get into the town, and it's only a two lane road. I mean, it wouldn't take a lot of, of stuff, and there's a ton of farmers with deer rifles. So, because we do see that question a lot, and and it's weird because the people bringing the question up are usually pretty rabid and shitty about it. And I, yeah. I feel I feel like, and I want to go. Well, you've clearly got nothing going on. Do you think the government doesn't? I mean, you typed this out on something. Do you think the government doesn't know where yeah.
0: you're at? Yeah, yeah. I and I also think like this whole roving hordes narrative is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It makes interesting fiction, you know. Um If you, if you get past the over technical manual level of describing every piece of equipment, Patriots the coming collapse was kind of interesting to read. Yeah, like, like, years ago when I read it, yeah, the first one. Um, and but this whole roving hordes thing, like, so look where this shit has happened look where this shit has really hit the fan and say, what happened there? And then you could probably say with reasonable certainty, it would look something like that. So I've interviewed like Selko from the, you know, the Balkan Wars. Yeah. And and what he said was very simple. Like the people that were like, I'm going to like hoard a bunch of shit and be all by myself. They were fucked within weeks. And the people that got through it were people that kind of, they basically ganged up one way or another. Didn't necessarily look like a gang, but what I mean is they they formed relationships with each other. They had their little clique. They had people they could trust, and they they went through it. And the people that were out successfully, like raiding shit and stealing from people and all, when it ended and sooner or later it will, those people just fucking disappeared. And then nobody ever asked the question about where they went. They just like- went away.
2: Because eventually
0: some form of order would be restored, and then memories are long, and two years isn't that long to remember. And the people that were legitimate freaking predator problems, gone. That's
2: that's a lot of the theory, especially in small towns. Everybody knows who the turds are, and as soon as there is no rule of law or there's an
0: opportunity to flush
2: Yeah, as soon as the Internet goes down or if, God God forbid, for their sake, the power goes out and there are no more ring cameras, boy, problems will be solved.
1: Yep. I find this one funny. Driving home from SRF must have seen 20-plus cars blown out tires or out of gas. And the funny thing is, when I was driving home yesterday, I saw an unusual number of cars broken down on the side of the road. I was like, what is going on around here? So speaking of what, go ahead.
2: What do you think the cause for that was? Why? Is that, do you think we just, because we're coming from the festival and prepper mindset, do you think we're just noticed, like the reticulatory activating system, do you think we're noticing them? Or do you think there, in fact, was a larger number that day? I think
1: there was number. a larger number because I see about two cars on average on the side of the road because I want to get in the left lane, so I notice it. Yeah. And in particular, between Birdsong and 840, I must have seen 12. So. Wow. so I would guess some bolt truck or something fell out and got people's yeah. tires.
0: Yeah, cuz we right. saw like nothing going the other way. Yeah, you
1: went the other way.
0: We were I on the road it's... for 10 and a half hours. We saw almost nothing.
2: As as a, as money gets tighter for folks, they don't change tires, right? So when tires yeah. blow out, cars get left aside the, the road. And for some reason here in Tennessee, like in California, you, if you're on the side of the freeway, within an hour you got a red sticker. And in two hours, your shit's gone, and you're paying thousands of dollars to get yeah. it out of income. Uh, here, I run into Nashville every weekend. You'll see the same car there for like 60 days sitting on the side of the road.
1: That could be too. Uh, David does. David Siegler says it's because Nicole is a tire jinx, which used to be the the case. I used to curse anybody who got near me and make their tires explode. But I have handed the curse on to Tactical. And he did drive through the night before. So it could have just been left over from the, 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 passing of the curse to tactical. Could be. Okay. Let's, let's talk about disasters because we brought up disasters. Uh, there has been one in our country recently in Florida, the yeah. hurricane. And I noticed that bear is already on it. So grindstone ministries, it's grindstoneministries.com is already deploying people down there to help, but. Which is, which is important because when we have these large scale disasters, it's not the government that helps. They'll be in there in a month or they may be there in a couple of weeks, but it's people who help people at this point. So let's just, I don't know, riff on that for a minute.
2: So the government actually, for, for some people, I'm sure the government helps, but having been there with Bear and having seen that and talked to multiple people that were there in Kentucky, once, once the government gets there, what the government was doing to a lot of these small homesteads is they're like, Hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lock this area down, we're gonna give you a check for five thousand dollars and you have to evacuate. They basically condemn the property. And it's not even though they're condemning the house, they're literally putting these people who they're giving them five and they're like, Take it or leave it, this is what you're going to get once the FEMA comes through. So it was it was kind of weird to hear the back side. And then you have this big company uh, that's supposed to do disaster relief, and you see them co-branded with tools and knives and all this shit. Um, and when they come in, so basically FEMA comes in. FEMA is bankrupt and has no money to actually do any of the work. So when these NGOs and stuff come in, the government is supposed to compensate these NGOs in some fashion, but they don't have any money. So they want to kick these NGOs off of there, the non-government agencies. They want to kick them out. Plus, I believe that us, we would be like, hey, that's not right, and there might be some site, some site, form of oversight. They want to remove all of that so they can do whatever they're going to do. And then they bring in uh, migrant labor, and the migrant labor does the work, and then they pay the migrant labor. That is what happened in Kentucky. But the, when, once the government hit there, FEMA and stuff... They were only in the major, uh, city areas where there was anything over, you know, two, three stories there. But when they did trickle out into the, the smaller communities, their whole answer was, here's, here's, we'll give you a check for $5,000. You have to leave.
0: I don't then, know if that's going to be the case in Florida because no, so we're already hearing from like the vice president. That like this uh, most, most affects the poorest people and in Florida, it absolutely did not. Uh, Fort Myers and Sanibel, that's kind of like a second home to me. So it yes. kind of has an emotional attachment to it, but those are not the poorest among the Floridians, right? This is a very affluent area. Uh, I don't think people will take $5,000 so for a lot on Sanibel. It's been in their family for, you know, 18 generations or whatever. Um, it's a pretty, disastrous state when you look at images after a disaster of a place you're intimately familiar with as bad as it looks to somebody else it looks worse to you because you know what it's supposed to look like and in the last you know I've been going to Sanibel since 1982 so it's uh it, it is a weird thing though about disasters right like you feel pain for a thing that's so minor compared to the total like I found out last night there's a place on Sanibel right in the center of the island called Jerry's it's like a supermarket and they are like a parrot rescue. And they have all these beautiful parrots in, the, in these huge cages that were there. And they did evacuate the birds out of there, but they took them to another part of the island. And they all died. And, like, I felt as bad for the birds in some ways. And I know that sounds awful, but as I did for the people. And one in particular, like, this was a bird that years ago, like, 15 years ago I had his head stuck in a cage. And I literally ran in a supermarket, stole a little dip net that they sell to the kids, ran out and pried the bars to get his head out. And, like, every time that we would go there, all these years later, he would, like, see me and come, Oh, like, because birds have, like, an intelligence that that a lot of other, you know, lower animals don't. And, like, the and I was reading this whole thing, and I'm, like, oh, my God, the birds, you know? And, like, what had happened is they evacuated them to this other part of the island where there's actually more birds as part of this rescue, and everybody thought the birds, so nobody did anything. Like, could people act, like, locals are actually attached to these birds, too, and they got left behind, you know, and, like. I know that sounds so minor, but like that's, you what know, I don't
2: know. Was, was, did weather kill the birds? They put them. Yeah, somewhere they don't somewhere know right exactly.
0: There. Did they, they probably drowned cause they're going to be in cages. Yeah. And on most of the Island, the water was more than nine feet high. I've been looking at aerials of like where we stay and you, you think a building's gone and then you realize, well, there's the top of it. They're literally buried in sand. Like that, that's how, how bad this was. Uh, right where that store is, there's a picture on Periwinkle Way. And I know that yield side's like higher than my head. And at the point that they could still get video out, the water was up to the bottom of the, the side. So that would be center island, highest point on the island. You're looking at six foot high water. Wow. Before yeah, they lost I know. Feed, before they lost video feed.
1: You know, the emotional things matter the most though on stuff like that. There was a, a sudden flood in my college town that put the downtown area underwater and everybody came out to like dig the muck out of stores when the waters had receded. And uh, there was a brewery where their brew tank was empty and it floated up through the building and all sorts of stuff like that. And we had these swans that hung out in the pond in the central park in the city who were there and heavy equipment ran over one. And that was the thing everybody that everybody's like completely demoralized after that, even though swans are assholes. But how do you know, do you know that? Because we had swans and
2: I knew the swans before the flood. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, ta- I'm talking about the the bird attack.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nicole, so
2: Nicole rescued Nicole, for you that don't know, Nicole rescued this bird and it said thank you by It was stabbing, a blue
1: heron. By it was stabbing
2: her through her face.
1: Right here. At CrossFit, they called me Pecker Face.
2: Damn. That's, from now on. That's hard. You the know, coach goes up
1: to me. She's like, I hope you have a good sense of humor. And she was really careful about saying it. I laughed my ass off. You <laughs> it was know, like literally.
0: People do get attached to animals, though. Like, like even like animals in a fake story. Like, remember the old movie with Will Smith Independence Day? I guarantee you the hardest, the average person to watch that movie rooted for anything during that movie was when the dog was running down the freaking tunnel and a fire was coming. Like everybody rooted for the dog, you know, people get killed. Like screw it. The dog, man. And I think it's because like these animals, we take them in, we take care of them and they depend on us. And like, when we make stupid decisions, like leaving these beautiful birds behind, like they suffer for it, I guess. Sure.
2: But I mean, at, at what point do you, Oh, you got to go. You, you got to go. Use your life trying to save, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, you don't do that.
0: No. Yeah. I think the thing of this was like, so there's about 6,500 people that live on Sanibel and probably 5,000 of them would have took one bird with them. Yeah. Well, anyway, like that was a very, that's like, so the first thing you want to rebuild when you rebuild after something like this is the, the unique special things that, that rebuild the culture of the place. And like, that's how attached people were. And what people are upset about is that they got the wrong information. Like, right. hey, it's fog of war though, man. I'm not, I'm not picking on anyone. I'm just saying like, that is the thing that hits people because it's so symbolic. In, in 1999, right here in Fort Worth, Arlington area, we got hit with one of the worst tornadoes to ever hit the Dallas, Fort Worth area. And it blew the windows out of the bank one building in downtown Fort Worth. And, I mean, when people looked at it, we were still pretty close to uh, Oklahoma City bombing. And that's what everybody said it looked – that's what it looked like. And a restaurant that was a, just – been here for, you know, 80 years called Riata. That was on the 19th floor of that building. And they went in and rebuilt while there was still glass missing from the building. And it was like this big – like, Fort Worth is back. And it is oh, those yeah. types of things that rebuild communities. Now, then the freaking insurance company – Condemn the building, and they and the people that own Riyadh lost $9 million in the rebuild and were unable to get much recourse for it. And they went and they just built a brand-new facility, you know, just off of where they were, uh, where they're at today. And it was still another thing, like, we are not going away. And though yeah. that's what puts communities back. It's not just about animals. It's about the things that are iconic in that community.
2: How close have you been to a tornado when they've come through? How close has it been to your property, Jack?
0: here we had a very very minor one just literally go right behind me a couple of years ago um, we had one that killed quite a few people 15 miles south of me a few years before that the one I'm talking about in Fort Worth literally skipped over my house like it it, it tore roofs off houses that my neighborhood didn't get touched and then the next block they tore roofs off houses and then the next block it put them to the foundation and then it then it tore a roof off a uh a gas station that it went over like a bunch of other houses. Like they was doing a touchdown, come up thing and it hit a new building that I actually had a crew working at. They weren't there during it, but an uh, Accenture building a huge. And it just leveled it because it was like half built. So the air could get in it and it wiped it to the freaking ground. And my wife was working out at the gym and she literally drove around it without knowing that's what she was doing. How
2: serious do you think about adding a shelter every time one of those things happens?
0: In- incredibly serious. If I could dig a hole here, I'd already have one of the in-ground ones. Yeah. Um, I've thought real seriously about doing the ones where they basically weld them to the foundation of concrete. I've so, seen those. Go ahead.
2: They And I, I actually what I was going to say, it, you still have rock underneath it, I'm sure, but they yeah. come in and cut a slab and they dug it out with an excavator in your.
0: Every time he's and gone, gone
2: and they set a steel box inside and then they chemically anchor it and bolt it down in. And then it's a, tra- yes. it's a slide, so you can still park over it when it's not tornado season and still yeah. use it. You can walk across it so it's just in the garage floor or the slab of your house or whatever.
0: We would to do that here, and I've seen those. I think they're freaking excellent because then you don't give up the space. Right. We right. would literally need explosives to install that here. And I have to put explosives in the ground inside my shop, which I don't that's think right. you can do.
1: Have you considered doing a, like an outbuilding that's a dome outbuilding?
0: Yeah, that would probably be my best bet. Yeah. Because if I put one of the above-grade ones in my shop, it's going to take up so much of that yeah. space, and it's really going to suck. And I want it to be big enough because I'm an animal person. Like, my dogs and everybody's here yeah. has to be able to get in there. So I'll you bet. can't use it as storage space because yeah, it it's has not to be like MP. a hurricane where you're like, it's Tuesday. Hey, we're going to have a hurricane hit on, like, Saturday. Like, everything's beautiful, and then some days you know that there's a potential there's a for chance. it. But there's days where, like, everything's beautiful, forecast, 10% chance of rain. 4 o'clock, some shit blows up out west, and by 7 o'clock, it's here. I'll bet you
2: could bring in a, a – it would take a big – like, a really big excavator, but with a jackhammer, man, I'll bet you
0: could yeah. put some holes where you want them. It's, that was- <laughs> it's way harder than you think. It's, like, the kind of excavator you're talking about, because they when they put pylons in for highway extension over here, like, they're there for days to put one freaking pylon about in.
1: It. So A few years ago, there was a wildfire that went through a town called Paradise in California, Northern California, and there are only a few worlds in and out of Paradise, and my family's from there. So my cousin found out about the fire, and 2 I think two of her three dogs she was able to find, and any animal she grabbed got shoved in her car. She got out with her life, and that was it. And when she came back, of course, none of the other animals were alive. And things from in the house were outside the house. And she was like, every time she found one family heirloom that was salvageable, it was like this big deal. So really that, yeah, that made me really think like if I had a tornado scale, of thing, what would I grab if I had 45 seconds to get my butt out of the house and into a shelter? And how, how is that organized? Cause I don't have time to open the safe at that point to get whatever out of the safe.
2: So that goes back to a lot of Jack shows because the things that you would need to grab that are most important to put your life back together, if you already have duplicates of those, that answer would definitely change. That would be mm-hmm. a different answer at that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to, like anybody that hasn't listened to it, I've run it as a rewind a couple of times too. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and use the search function and look for documentation. Yeah. And the documentation uh, package that I outlined there. I did. That was early too. I did that like it was episode 100 and something the first time I did it. And there was a master sergeant, a marine master sergeant who came up to me at the first dirt time I did. And he said, you literally left nothing out of that. And that was like one of the first big time pat on the backs that I had from somebody at that level.
1: Master we should throw the link to that in the show notes, Jack. Scott Anderson. Yeah.
0: I'll find it. Scott Anderson. That who it was. It's funny yeah. he does all this shit.
2: He was in my shop all the time in Oceanside, constantly.
0: Okay, that's Yeah, right. that,
1: that episode's great, and we put off doing the documentation, and it's funny because we did this keto challenge before Self-Reliance Festival. The biggest loser of weight is actually Mike Bertrese, who lost 53 pounds. He was not at the festival, but he texted me, and he was like, I've lost 53 pounds, and I feel so much better. So first of all. I thought I thought Man Tim was going to have it, but Mike beat him. Um, and it would be interesting to have a challenge about documentation where we say, you know, every Saturday, spend an hour putting your documentation together until you're done and report in when you're done. Because it's so easy to put off that kind of work. And then when you need it, you're screwed.
0: Well, what's really sad about that, right, is so I guess if you count, ink and printer paper and some stuff like that, maybe a thumb drive is so you have a digital version of it. And I say to make one for the house and one for every vehicle, it's pretty much free. So you have all these people out there trying to spend money on mountain house and shit like that. And let's say you were on Sanibel Island and you had a whole bunch of mountain house, you know, stored in the the part of your house that's not actually a house because they won't let you build a house there because flooding happens. And you had yeah. all that shit down there and you were ready for the apocalypse. What good did it do you during Hurricane Ian? Right. So you have all this money invested in all these things. But what like one of the things that made me do this art, do this episode was there was an article that went out about refugees in the Middle East and what they brought with them. And it was that, it was that kind of thing. It was proof of who they were. It was, you know, a method of a cell phone. It was data it was the little bit of money they had in some way that they could hide it and secure it. And I was like, the stuff that you might most often need in a true disaster, because these weather events, these are more likely than most of the other shit people fantasize about is the stuff that lets you reassemble your life. Like bank account numbers, right? Like, uh, like it, how to get in touch with the, the right people at your insurance, like a picture like, of your driver's license, a picture of your driver's license, you know, things like that. Or, like I literally have in mind several different directions we could go in, in some sort of major natural disaster. Like I have like cool hotels that will let me have my dogs. And yeah. are like you're gonna bug out to a hotel? You fucking a right I am. You are <laughs> fucking a right I am. You know what? It's fucking comfortable there. I'm not going to a freaking uh, national campground or some shit like that. And like well you know they're all gonna be they're all gonna be booked. That's why I have the fucking numbers. Now already, I already, I'm not looking for a pet friendly hotel, right? I already know who to call. And if that one, like two is one, one is none, three is for me, four is more, five keeps you alive, like three routes out, three ways each route and five freaking hotels that are pet friendly along those routes. So yeah, I'll, I will totally whip out my freaking credit card. And the way I look at this, like when you have something as dangerous as Ian was, let's say you yeah. left. And let's say it took a different route and it didn't hit your house. Okay, I took a couple days of vacation that I really didn't plan on. My dog's got to go for a ride. You know, we ordered room service and we go home. But if everything gets fucked, I'm not there. I've got my life, my health, my ability to put my life back together, all the things I really need, and we can we can figure it out from there. But if we're dead or stranded on a rooftop, like then I actually have a problem.
1: I had some people in my Airbnb a few years of hurricanes ago running from a hurricane in Florida, convinced her family to get out. I let them have an animal in there, and I don't usually because I was like, if you're escaping the hurricane, animals are okay, and your rate is half. And we sat around the campfire hanging out with them when the hurricane changed direction and never hit her town. And her mom was really mad because she had left and followed her. I was like, listen, I'm proud of you for doing that because hurricanes move at the last minute, but yeah. had it gone the other way and you stayed there, it would have been way worse. And this was just a fun trip to Tennessee now.
0: Yeah. I mean, no this pit could have hit anywhere from South of where it did to Destin. That was the cone of uncertainty. And as it got closer, that cone narrowed down, but here's a perfect example. Same location, Sanibel Fort Myers. There were a lot of people that stayed put during hurricane drop, Charlie, Hurricane Charlie, they were like 99% was going to go up and hit the panhandle. It literally got to, like, the Captiva area and just hooked the freaking right. And it hit so dead center on uh, North Captiva. So in in the area, you have Sanibel and Captiva, and they're connected by a bridge. And then there's another island called North Captiva. You have to get there with a boat. For a while, there there was North and North-North Captiva because it's such a narrow island. Hurricane Charlie sawed the island in half to where you could drive your boat between the two pieces of the island. And that had just a couple of years ago, actually kind of like nature healed it over and it reformed. So a lot of those people that hung out, they believed the forecast. And it was literally like, it was a matter of hours. It was like eight hours before it hit like, holy shit, get out and not jump early, man. If you really think you need to go because nature doesn't give a shit. Right. And I think there's, it's interesting how we started out with you know, the other government's going to come take my food or whatever. Like yeah. mother nature don't care man and there's I don't care where you live there's the potential for something I like some of the safest places are like Utah uh parts of Idaho are pretty insulated from big time natural disasters but even there I mean
1: So are you guys ready for another fortune Sure. These were actually sent in by listeners last time, by the way. Awesome. So if you want to send a fortune in because you've been out to Chinese food, you can take a picture of it and email me, Nicole, at go. livingfreeintennessee.com. Nobody mailed them. They just sent me digital copies. If you go to livingfreeintennessee.com because you don't know how to spell Nicole, you can just click on contact, and those go to me too. So this one says, you'll have all sorts of chances to make a happy encounter. It you'll man. have all sorts of chances to make a happy encounter.
0: That's actually an interesting one because the subject of the law of attraction came up a couple of times in discussions at the festival. Yeah. Whether it's punk or whether it's real. So I think like the idea that you can manifest shit as like make it materialize is total freaking hokum bullshit. But I also think it works and that's hitting on it because if I think I want something in my life and I'm really focused on it, then everything that is an opportunity to bend it in that direction that comes to me. And there'll be plenty. I'll recognize it instead of moving directly past it. So it works, but it doesn't work for the pseudoscientific metaphysical bullshit reason that we're given. But that's interesting. I think you do have lots of opportunities every day to have a happy encounter. That was not a fail.
1: Yeah.
2: I think being, in the moment, right. When you're talking to people, You never know what's going to come from that conversation. So especially like this weekend, be in the moment. The people that I am talking to, my attention is there and I'm usually not trying to go and get away and do something else. I just sometimes you
1: are though, right?
2: Sometimes I have to be. It's usually (laughs) when you're like, Hey, where is he at? He's supposed to be right here on stage or whatever. (laughs) So I mean, I think that's a, that's a big thing is just, just be in the moment. You never know where that's going to come from A lot of people look at their they try to build their life or put their life together and they're worried about the rest of their life today and they're not putting any attention into today so that that it, that stepping stone never gets put in place that that pavers is never there.
1: I do think energy and perspective impacts people though so when your day's important. bad and you put more negative energy into it, you do end up making, I, I, I just remember this incident. We were recording Unloose the Goose. I get on the, on the, the show beforehand and our conversations before Unloose the Goose were way funnier than while we were on Unloose the Goose. I should have recorded those and put them out as like membership content. I get on Jack's there and he's like, how are you? And I'm like, today can just fuck off. And he was like, me too. And we had this whole conversation yeah. about everything we touched went wrong. That was the show. I was on and I saw tactical walk by my window with his finger bleeding and I had to like take him to the Aww. emergency room. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, I gave tactical that energy and he and I had had that conversation too. So he was messing around with something dangerous in the mindset of today can just fuck off. And he did one last thing and it, it today fucked off is what it did. It gave it to if me.
2: Just, if you would just pay him a little more attention, he could stop harming himself to get your attention.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've, He's only I've been recently, to the emergency room three times with the same cut on the same finger dude this year i've recently had
2: some private access to some very high performance people and the general conversation in 5 10 20 people groups they do speak about manifestation and vision boards like there's a lot to this and these are dudes that are, are very, very, they can go do whatever they want to do. But they do speak, like Andy Forsella being one of them, Ed Milet, Rob Bailey, those guys. And it, it, that is a very common conversation amongst them.
0: Yeah, and it, it does happen. I remember when I started the podcast, and I, I, I did it for months before I even told my wife I was doing it. And then I said, like, this is my exit plan now. And on. I remember sitting down with her, and I'm like, within two years, I'm going to be on a Glenn Beck show. And it was like 20 months later, we got a call from the Glenn Beck show. So like, but it was also like, I can't believe that I wasn't doing certain things with that in the front of my mind. Like these were the right ways to, uh, to attract not, not with energy, but with marketing the eyeballs that would work for a guy like that. They would say, Hey, this is a guy we want to bring in and talk to. Like, so I think that's what happened. Like people say they're going to manifest a parking spot. And they're like, Oh, I got one right at the front or whatever. Like, you know, either you just got fucking lucky and it just happened and now you're attributing it to this, or your peripheral vision was actually heightened. and you noticed the motherfucker walking in a way that told you he was going to get in his car and leave and that he was angry? I believe like things like that happen. Like we actually, we have so much information that we take in every day and most of it is superfluous. So we filter because we have to, or we'd be like some people, like some of them that have mental issues, one of the problems that can't shut down information. It's too much. It's like, like being a telepath and being able to hear everybody around you and not being able to dial out. So it's like a thousand conversations in your head. And so, but if we, if we can decide the piece we want to look for within all that information, then we can capitalize on it.
2: Energy, yeah, the, mood, go ahead. Like energy, mood, tone, aura, whatever you want to call it. When you are consuming a lot of negative shit, when you're having a negative conversation, when you're talking negatively, when you're absorbing somebody speaking negatively, if you participate in that, You will find that you have more of that shit coming. And I I got a buddy and he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't do drama. And I'm like, what do you mean? Expand on that. And he's like, if it's negative and especially if it doesn't involve me, I don't need to hear it. That gives me more time. And when we do positive shit, more positive shit does come to you. And I find that very true in my life. Whatever the reason is, it does hold true though. And maybe it's just because I operate on a shittier level. When I have when I'm speaking negativity, I mean, whatever yeah. the reason is, it does work, though, for me. Yeah, I, I think it, of,
1: it doesn't matter why it works. Right. right it doesn't matter why it works. I don't think it's just when you set goals and you have a plan and you're like, I'm going to get on Glenn Beck or whatever your thing is. And you're looking at that every day and positive about it. Every decision you make or many of the decisions, probably not every helps you go that direction.
0: Correct. And that could be, you can do it with a negative focus without even knowing that's what you're doing. Right. Like you can, you can, you can do that. But I, I do think there's something to like, have either one of you ever had this experience? Like you see a guy and you know, he's about to pull out from a stop sign and you can't see any other cars or something. And you just like, I'm not going to go. Cause this motherfucker's is about to get hit. Yeah. And like two seconds later, I remember one time it happened with my wife. I'm like, this motherfucker's is about to get hit. And she's like, what? Bam. You know, and She's like, how'd you, I, I, I don't know how I knew, but I just had this like vibe of like, this dude's about to get hit and I don't want to be part of it.
2: Yeah. People will be like, I had an angel. I don't care what you had as long as it worked out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I heard that today. A lady had an angel because she found some of her artwork in the rubble of her house. And I'm like, man, you need to get your angel. It's like protecting your whole house. <laughs> <laughs> whole house insurance angel. But however people no, want but to. But that cope.
1: emotional thing is what she needs to move forward. That's right? what
0: I'm saying. However people choose to cope, as long yeah. as it works, go nuts with it. I'll say that like, like it's like like I just did. But I would never say that to her if I knew her.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of things we never say. Okay, I have a question. We'll get this one in. Financial question. What's everybody's opinion on whole life insurance policies? My wife and I each have two. It's our only form of investment savings at this time. None of us want to answer that.
0: Okay, Jack, go. Go. Okay, whole life insurance is not an investment. It's an overpriced insurance product. And if you were taking the money you were spending on a whole life insurance policy and using term to insure your death, which is the purpose of life insurance, and actually putting away investing saving, the balance of the cheaper cost, uh, into decent investments, you'd be way ahead and you wouldn't tell me it's the only investment you have and it's not really an investment. That said, there is cash value to it. At least it's there if, if you end up deciding to go at it. But it's like, I wish you would have asked me this question before you purchased it. It has been traditionally used as tax shelters by very, very wealthy people that want to make sure some of their money goes to people that maybe are not in their trust or something like that. But if that's the only thing you have, it's not you. Um, never confuse a product with a product that is not Right, like if I was gonna buy a a, a a sling from John and tell him like I'm gonna use it as a dog leash, you would probably say go to Joe Riles and buy a dog leash. I built a sling for a rifle, so whole life is not an investment. It's an insurance project and it's an overpriced one, and you shouldn't have bought it. I don't know what to tell you to do because I don't know your total situation now.
2: Okay, how about this one? I heard somebody the other day say that very wealthy people use property to collateralize money to buy other property use insurance to cover when they die to pay off all of their debts.
0: Okay. Then you're using insurance to ensure a failure of your ability to service a debt. So it's an insurance product. Right. right? Life so, insurance
2: to cover off all the debt. Yep.
0: Yeah. That's- so like you could, you, if you have a big enough whole life insurance uh, policy, you can borrow against it and then you pay the money back to yourself. And that is one of the ways that, Insurance agents sell that product. The problem is that most people never really have enough money in it to do that, and you probably could have bought property without doing that. So like, if that's what you have now, leveraging it that way might make sense, but you also have a potential. Somebody asking this question probably does not need to go straight into leveraging the one thing they have against property that they don't know how to manage.
1: I have no opinion about it. Cause I don't have experience with it. Yeah. So that's, I'm not, I'm not I, in, I, I am have, not in that income range. I'll just put it that way. I'll just say that I you know, have life
0: insurance in case I kick off or get shot in the head or something. Right. And and if I'm dead, I didn't kill myself. I'll put that out now too. But uh, I own, I have no whole life insurance whatsoever. So what a person the does is more important than what to say. Yeah. I'm not
2: the guy to ask for financial advice because you would look at my shit and pull your hair
0: out. I just to make that. more money, bitch. That's, that's, that's always I've always had
2: the ability to make more money when
0: I needed more make money. More money.
2: Make and more and money. I Sleep operate faster. in a manner I operate in a manner that oftentimes I'm broke, so I have no choice but to operate and make more money.
0: Sleep faster, work harder. Yes.
1: Sounds like John. Well, that does bring us to something I wanted to talk today, and that's the mindset you need to make money. Uh, because, you know, having just gotten out of Self-Reliance Festival, you meet a lot of people in a lot of different personal situations. They're there because they want to make a difference in their life. But I had a lot of poverty mindset mm-hmm. conversations. The, the I can't do this because I don't have enough money. All of those things. So let's riff on that a little bit. Like, I think a, lot of, those
2: are the, I think a lot of those are the same people that will be like, I'm not buying property because I have to pay tax on it. Like I, I try to be nice to – whenever. like I, I want to be nice to people because we started off at gun shows years ago, and I would always speak to the kids specifically. Those kids are now 20- and 30-year adults who are great customers, friends, clients. So I don't ever want to shut a guy down – right a hundred percent, right? Because maybe something will change, but I also can't be around those people too much because they are infectious. Everybody, You're going to catch something from everybody you're around. So if you ask me how to do something, I'll tell you once. I'll even tell you twice. There will never be a third time though. The third time guy, and they were here, the third time guys come walking up. And I just, I ignore them at that point. Like they, I can't be involved because they're going to come in and they're going to completely sidetrack the conversation that would benefit somebody.
0: So I just dropped a link uh for episode 188 of my rewind series. The original episode aired on May 21st, 2019, and it's called financial strategies for the modern survivalist. And the first bullet point in it is the number one wealth killer. Poverty consciousness, the number two wealth killer, consumer age thinking. And and, and so you know, you're right on it immediately. That is the number one thing that kills the ability to build wealth, poverty consciousness. And the first time I ever really experienced this and how bad it can be, I had left the little town. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I'd been gone for a little over a decade We took a, I took a job that moved me back to Pennsylvania and I wasn't going to live in that area. My dad was there. So I was like kind of hunting property and staying at my dad's place. And I I went down to this little donut shop that everybody hung out at. And it's like the middle of the day. It's like a Tuesday and it's like 11 o'clock. Like if you're of working age and you're not doing what I was doing, which is hunting for property, you probably should be at work. And there's tons of people in this place and everything from 20 somethings to old people. And the word I heard more than any other. Friggin' word the entire time I sat there, just kind of vegging out and eating a donut and drinking a coffee was cheap. This is cheaper there. You should go there. They're cheap. Or complaints that some place was too expensive. They're Like they're proud of their stuff. And like, and that meant like, don't go there. And I was like, holy shit. And I was like, I probably thought this way while I lived here and grew up here, surrounded by these people. And like, I literally could like, I like, you know what? I probably don't need to rate the last piece of this donut, pitched it out. The coffee sucks, dump it out. Yeah. You know, and left. And like, I'm not going back to this place. And when I told my old man that, he said, you got to understand this place is a white man's ghetto. That's the way he described the place, you know? And he's like, it's always going to be that way. It will never be anything else. And I also decided at that point, I really, really wanted to look further away from it where we were going to buy our property. Like, I didn't want my family growing up in that mindset either, you know? Um, and it's, it's really pervasive, and it stems from a belief, two things. One, that money is not abundant. Money's actually too abundant right now. There's more There's more units of dollars than there should be. We call that inflation. Uh, but the other thing is that the reason you don't have is because somebody else does. Like the, the person with poverty consciousness will always look at the rich person and say something like must be nice or believe that they must have screwed people over to get there or they stole the money or they don't really deserve it or something like that. And my experience with people that are wealthy, they're always the ones that fight over picking up the tab at at, at dinner, right? They're they're some of the most generous people I know are extremely wealthy people, and they have zero room for poverty consciousness in my life. And lastly, I'll send it before I push it back to you guys. is, In, in like, was the early 80s or or late 70s, somewhere in that range, somebody asked whoever, like, the head dude at, at Lamborghini at that time, like, why doesn't Lamborghini advertise? And, like, the big medium was television. And he said, cause people that drive Lamborghinis don't watch fucking television.
2: Yep. People watching TV can't afford them. I use yeah. the example. I use this example a lot and I might have gotten it from you, but there's a, there's a little seven year old kid sitting at a tire shop with his dad and his uncle and uh, a guy drives up in a, a brand new red Corvette or whatever. And the kid's all enamored with the car and both dad and uncle are like, yeah, that dude's an asshole. He probably doesn't pay his employees enough. Like you literally program that child at age seven with that poverty mindset and without a, a drastic outside intervention, that is how he will proceed until he escapes. That's the thing with a lot of the small towns like this town is the most impoverished town of all of Tennessee, the most impoverished county. And you either get a DNA job, which means your dream job is your uncle got you a job at the power plant or wildlife authority or you join the military to escape like that literally is because everything here is programmed and we have a local Facebook group and it's constant. Like who does the best thing? Who can be here tomorrow? I need this service at a fair price. Like that's what I tell guys when they move here, I go, you move here. You can clean up as a handyman or a dude. All you gotta do is show up and do what you say you're going to do and be yeah. the most expensive guy. Yeah. But don't ever, never reply to anything that's looking for the deal.
0: Yeah, if you're because too busy, raise your price. David and I talk about that all the way back down here. Like they, they anybody says they yeah, can't keep up, up, raise your price. And
2: they can't fathom it, man. They just, they just can't do it.
0: What's sad, John, is having been there a couple of times now, I look around and go, this is an incredible opportunity here. Yeah. This is an incredible, yeah. massive, beautiful lake,
2: Tourism. all kinds of
0: like real estate that could be developed, good climate oh. to grow shit. Like you need you're rest doing on. it on what was a like, completely ripped out. There was nothing there three years ago. It was a gravel three years ago. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of places where you wouldn't have to start with that, right? great top soils, like zone six, you know, zone six is an explosive growth USDA zone. So much opportunity. And it is only the inability to see the opportunity and capitalize on it that holds it back.
2: Yeah. There is thousand acre, thousand dollar an acre property and yeah. people call and they're like well where is it can you send me to it no you have to come and do the footwork it's here uh, there was a man here at our at the event this weekend who bought 300 acres about 15 mm-hmm. minutes from here and he paid less than a thousand dollars an acre for it it was cut it was select cut 15 years ago it's got several two acre ponds it's got streams running on it it's got water bubbling out of the ground but he did something they were not willing to do
0: he came and found it. Yeah. Yeah. He worked for it. It's almost like, you know, there's a really good place to eat here. John, would you chew my food for me and spit it in my mouth before I eat <laughs> yeah. it? Because baby, like baby doing that it. is too much work. Like, can you drive me there and pay the waiter for me? Because, you know, like, there's a lot of that. That's, that's part of poverty consciousness though. Like if I try, I might actually have to accept responsibility and it's a form of cognitive dissonance. Like, there's more than one flavor of cognitive dissonance. It's not just you heard a thing that conflicts with what you believe. A lot of times it is behavior that is wrong for you and you know in your heart that you're doing it. It's like when you have like a something really important that needs to get done and you just keep procrastinating, you start being a dick to all the people around you. That's a flavor of cognitive dissonance. And a lot of people live that way to the point where they, there's this thing they talk about that they want. They're never going to have it. Because it requires a level of responsibility that's uncomfortable to assume. And it's not really about the future. It's actually about the past. The minute that person assumes that level of responsibility, they all of a sudden are going to have to admit, like, all the fucked up shit in my life, I at least played a role in it all the way along. And all that blame game that I played in the past, I'm going to have to, like, not do that anymore. You know, I've had shitty partners in businesses, and that's why the business failed. But I'm the one that chose a shitty partner. Like I can say that I've had some stuff that failed like, I know it would have worked with the right person. Yeah, but you chose that person, Jack. So then what do I do in the future? Either I choose a better partner, or I say no more fucking partnerships, which is kind of, that's, that's my option going forward. Um, but yeah, like that's, that's, that's very hard for people to do because the minute I say like, I can change the future, I have to accept responsibility for the past.
1: Yeah. And there's a difference between poverty mindset and evaluating, evaluating the cost of something against what you're going to get out of it. Sure. I I I I've really been focused this year on that latter thing of saying okay, how much are we putting in? What are we getting out of it? And does that make sense? That that and and sometimes I make decisions not to buy things because it doesn't make sense for me. But that's very different than where can I get the absolute cheapest brake pad to repair my car? Yeah. Or I I know somebody who was very proud of himself for spending two weeks on and off on the phone with Verizon, managed to whittle his phone down from phone monthly phone bill down from like ninety to sixty. And I was like, but how many hours did you spend doing that? Right. How, many, how much and, money do you make a minute? Right. And and how long is that going to last? And. You know, it's not that it's bad to ask for a deal, but sometimes the time you spend messing with that and the resulting drop in quality you get out of that is a huge. And then all of that takes time. And then when the thing doesn't work right or you have to deal with the the jinky that comes out of that, that takes time. And all of that time is time you don't spend growing something you want to grow, working on something you want to work, learning something new.
0: Yeah, my classic example of that is always garden hoses. You buy cheap fucking garden hose. You just fucking <laughs> yeah, hate yourself. Yeah. You're fucking retarded. I'm sorry. You're, you're just retarded. Like, yeah, like you just don't do it. You don't do it because it's going to suck the entire time. You're going to get rid of it in a year or two. You would have been so far ahead. And when I, when I say that, I get people sometimes push back and go, like, you literally worry about that over something as inexpensive as a garden hose. I'm like, that's why I have money and you don't. Like have it's those little decisions over and over compounded over time of yeah, it cost me more today, but across ten years it cost me hundred and fifty dollars less. But how many times did I make that decision that cost me $150 less in time so I could buy quality early on? And I didn't have to fuck around and lose time and get pissed off and throw the hose at the freaking guy that sold it to me or whatever. Like mine just works. Like buy
2: once, cry once. Buy once, cry once. These hoses here yeah. are a hundred bucks a piece now. We're buying hundred foot. Three quarter black contractor hoses, and that's that's yeah. what we use all throughout the property for the most part.
0: Just be careful—you're buying the ones that I recommend because Home Depot and Lowe's both sell them, and they have one that looks just fucking like them. And if you're in a hurry, you can grab the wrong one. Correct. Yeah, we've got a <laughs> lot of them. Yep. <laughs> you can tell when you pick them up if you know by how heavy they are. Yeah, they're like very. If you heavy. Pick them a hundred foot hose, and it's not heavy as fuck. You got the wrong one.
2: Yeah, because I we're moving. I'm moving three hundred foot of hose around at a time. Yeah. I literally take that thing and wrap it around the rack on the four wheeler and just drive it, right. and it. Yeah. Yeah. And we drive over them all the time. I mean, we don't, we're not careful with them.
1: So what do you say to somebody who has been brought up with a poverty mindset, realizes they have it and knows they need to get out of it, comes up to you and says, what do I do to get out of this? What are my first couple of steps? Cause I'm still doing it because it's instinctual.
2: So they, Cause they then
1: have- that person may want to change.
2: They ask all the time. I gave several guys 30 minutes. I even stood with guys for an hour, and I'm like, you need to do this, 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 and this. And they're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm like, you're probably not going to do it. I always end with that. Like, you're not going to fucking do it because I want them to be like, I'll show you. Yes, I am going to do it. I want them angry about it because they're more apt to actually – because once they do one thing, they will do two, three, and four. And it's usually very, very small things that will make a big change. And it just once you have that momentum, it's easy to keep the momentum.
0: Yeah, getting them moving is important, but this is the hard part for most people. Most people that are in that mindset, they're constantly surrounded by people in that mindset, and this is painful. You have to separate from them. A lot of times yeah. they're family or long-term friends and all, and that doesn't mean you have to be a dick to them. It doesn't mean you can't sit down and have Thanksgiving dinner with them. It doesn't mean you can't exchange presents at the Christmas tree. It doesn't mean if they call you, you have to be like, fuck off, motherfucker, and hang up. You don't have to do any of that, right? But what you do have to do is not spend your time on an ongoing basis with those people because you cannot separate your consciousness from your collective consciousness. That's a, a mythology right there. You will be like those people. And every time you say something that starts to move you in the right direction, they're like the crabs in the bucket. They'll pull you back in. Like they people don't like to see people develop beyond them unless they're people that are developed enough that like you cheer when somebody that you're you're associated with goes beyond you, until you get to that state. So look at it like this: you're a you're a friggin' heroin addict, right? If you're a heroin addict, you can't go to parties where people are doing heroin and offering you heroin. And that's if you're in this poverty consciousness, you're basically a self-pity, self-sabotaging addict, and you can't hang out with even if they're decent people, you can't hang out with other addicts while you're in recovery. And then remember, that means that you will be in some level of recovery until you die. And you'll have to be very careful as you build yourself up how much time you like. I don't have. Very, I have very little time. I have people that often they, they want kind of mentorship or something. They want to come hang out. And like if I can't get you to level two after one or two conversations, you you have work to do on yourself that I can't do for you. You're gonna listen to my podcast. That's the best I can do because you can't you can't infect me through my you know through the audio waves.
2: We can't save everybody, right? We can't save everybody. Why do people ask you or me or Nicole how to do things? Because they see us do things, right? So if you are around and we have a we have a good success rate. People spend a lot of money to go to conferences and be in rooms with people that are able to do things. But if their shit stopped working. If guys go, hey, I went to this thing and it didn't work out, and this, they're going to stop paying that money to go see those people. There has to be a cost to, there has to be a barrier to entry. So if if all these guys giving these lectures and seminars were like, hey, all you all you non performers, why don't you come on in here? I feel sorry for you, and then they're going to leave. And if I had 5,000 people come in and only 500 of those 5,000 actually succeeded, people aren't going to pay me to come and hear what I have to say. So when you deal – and it's like that that's the price to entry, right? Um, Dan Pena said, you know, we used to give discounts on stuff for guys that I felt would need them, but they never executed. He goes, my success rate is 100% because it's $26,000 to be in my seminar for a week. And if you have $26,000, you're either a performer who's going to perform or you beg, borrowed, and steal and have a vested interest. You wanted it bad enough. There's no way you're not going to make it happen. So – Three, right? I always tell. I'll give you three chances, but it's never three. You get two. I know by I, I know to avoid you at, at three.
1: John's actually really good at an instant assessment of somebody, and he'll, you know, like he can kind of tell by reading them. Uh, I've, I've always been, been impressed with that ability.
2: I've never been wrong with it, and I've and I've wanted to be wrong. Like James would come in with new people, instructors, or whatever, and we would be talking, and I'm like, I don't like that guy. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm just telling you, there's something off. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good with it. And I, and I don't know if I just focus on it so much and manifest it that it it goes sideways, but I'm usually almost always right. I don't, I don't trust that guy. I don't, I get a bad feeling. He just seems smarmy. Just, you know, there's, it's almost always
0: correct. Yeah. I, I kind of have that vibe sensible thing too. Like where you just kind of know, like this is that feeling. This is not and every time I've not trusted it, I wished I had. Yeah, your gut I've even seen people perform really well in spite of that feeling for a time, but it always ends bad. Yeah, Dana, my,
2: my lawyer likes to say it's never a problem until it's a problem.
0: Yeah. Gradually, <laughs> then suddenly.
2: He what is happened? Not wrong.
0: To- You end up with a vested interest in that person and the signs start to really show up toward the end. And you keep doubling down because, like, I don't know, John, you're like me. You have this sense of, like, I was mentoring this person or I gave this person an opportunity or whatever. Like, I need to stick with them. There's a certain loyalty there. And it always hurts. And that's why it's easier for me just to not have employees than to deal with that anymore.
2: That is the biggest frustration is, is the human factor. I know that on Monday morning at about six o'clock, I'm going to start getting messages about why I can't be here or, and, and everything I do in the morning, I do my tasks in order so that all of my people can do their tasks, sure. right? So, sure. And especially in a, in a small, as fine tuned as we are, it does make a difference when we are missing a person or two. And the crazy shit is, it's almost always you know who it's going
0: to be yep. and yeah, they the leave right There's the person you have that's like your rock star that when they tell you they can't be there, you don't even get upset. You're like, we got it. Because that, that guy's that's been right. there and been there over and over and over. And you know when he says, I can't today, that some shit, like your response is not, listen, fuck, get to work. It's like, dude, what can, can I Yeah, what can I do to help yeah, well, mm-hmm. yeah, do tell you, tell you? What's going it? on? Because I know if it's you, something's up. But then you got the guy, he has bottle flu every other Monday. We have we have people
2: that have missed more time in a week than I have people that have
1: missed in a
0: decade. Yeah, I understand. I understand.
1: My issue is, even when my gut says it, I want to be wrong so badly.
0: Yeah, you're Neil. And
1: I make the wrong Neil. decisions, and I'm unlearning that now. I'm unlearning it. But it is something, like, I am the That's why when one of you two says that guy's weird. I'm like, okay, I better listen to that. Cause I know what I'm doing inside my hell's head is talking myself out of that right now.
0: So, yeah. I, I used to tell my partner. No, you know, yeah, I
1: think
2: in some manners, a female
0: is more vulnerable
2: because that, that dude's not feeding me bullshit because he wants a relationship with me. He's just a fucking weirdo. And and there's a few there. They're, they're <laughs> in the world. I mean, they're near us.
0: But uh, you know, like the business, I like my ex-partner, Neil, like we would have somebody come in like to do recruiting work and all, and he'd see something in them because there's a lot of times there is potential in these people at the same time that there is more likely that they're going to fail. And I tell him, quit trying to breathe for people. And I'm like, you really want to give this guy a chance? Give him a stipend for two weeks and move him to 100% incentive compensation and see what happens. And you make that offer and the guy walks away and you go, well, then... Right. All that shit that he just told you, he didn't believe. All that shit about being the number one technical recruiter in your office within two months, he didn't believe. Cause if he believed it, he would have made a hell of a lot more money on the incentive comp we just offered him than he would have ever made on the base package that we had offered him to get him in the door for an interview. So he didn't believe his own bullshit.
2: That's what my friend Rob says. He's like, I just, I say a few things and then I shut up and let them talk. And then I write yeah. down, it says, especially when we're dealing with, uh, athletes and, uh, social media influencers. I will bring you 2,000 new subscribers every day. So he writes that down. Yeah. And then he puts it in the contract and they're like, well, oh, so you, well, I mean, I'm just, I just, I'm just repeating what you said. So can, here yeah. it is. If you want to do this, sign it, here it is. And that's, you just let them dig their hole. I mean, they're going to, or they're, or they're real. I mean, that's how that is.
1: Yep. Yeah. I think, you know, just to, to wrap this one up, uh, my, one of my most downloaded podcasts is about, about your relationships, which John was talking about, you know, people who are negative drag him down if he's around them. So he's not around them. My tangible advice was, and I got this from some other personality that, that had figured it out, write down the 20 people you most interact with, which is probably going to include your husband, your wife, your kids, whatever, and people you work with. And you write, a minus next to him if after talking to him you feel kind of like yes yeah. you know bogged down a plus if you feel excited and amped and you're going to go do the next thing that's how i feel when i talk to you and john and just a zero if there's no change and yeah. every one of those minuses there's either it's either a temporary state or they got to go yeah. and sometimes yeah. that minus uncomfortably enough is your own mother and I, that's yeah. awkward but oh yeah
0: mine too
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Jack's, Jack's dealt with that, right? Yeah. But, you know, sometimes it's somebody who you're like super close with. And now you have a decision to make. Do I completely remove myself from that situation? Or what boundaries do I put in that that doesn't affect me? Because if you don't make that decision, and I did make a hard decision about that in 2019, as Jack knows, Um yeah. that's what yeah. keeps you from going forward. That, yeah, that was like, keeping me from getting forward. And I knew it for three years in advance. Like I was like, hmm, that minus is still a minus.
0: I'm going to play point, with that system. It. I'm going to play huh? with that system. I never heard that before. I've always said, you know, get rid of the negative. But I, I, yeah. I, I, I had a, like, a thought when you were saying like the plus, the minus, or the zero. Like I would go through that list and the first word. Like oh, what first. is the first word you think of when you think of that person? Like, if it was John, yeah. I would say energy. Like, because John's a <laughs> guy I pull up his shit at 4.30 in the morning when I got up to take a leak or something, and he's already doing an Instagram or a TikTok And he's like, I'm right? going back to bed. Sleep, I to bed. Fuckers, you better be. Don't tell me you don't have any time if your ass is not. A, I already worked out. I'm setting my <laughs> shit up for my employees. You're bitching to me and out. And I'm like, that's like full-on energy. Well, energy is a very powerful word, right? So it'd be interesting. Like, some of these people would make you feel negative. What would be the word you would associate with them? Some would be drain, but others might be like nervous because I don't like talking to fucking nervous people. Like the, the thing that will set my hackles off, like John was talking about earlier, if that motherfucker seems twitchy and I don't mean necessarily physically, but just there's this sense of this person's got, got this nervous energy. Like that's the same thing a dog picks up on. Like well, your dog loves everybody. And then they see this person and the fucking dog's like, nah, no, no, nope. like this bitch. Like you don't want that person.
2: You're the sum of the the five people you spend the most time with, and that can include online people as well. If you're absorbing it, and it's coming into your head. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You're never going to achieve a higher level. You can be the king of your tribe or the pinnacle, whatever you want to call it, but you will never raise higher until you are around other people. If you are around mediocre people, you are mediocre. Just because you're at the top – it just means you don't realize what you are. You have to, there's, there are a whole nother world. There are always nother, other levels. And until you reach the next level, you never get pulled or invited into the next level. So it's, com- it's comfort. It's comfort and complacency. There, it's the same thing. Comfort breeds complacency. And that is when performance stops.
0: So my kind of thing to be in the inner circle is you have to be better than me at something that's positive. Yes. Yes. Right? You're not going to be better at me than There's going to be things I'm going to be the best at within any circle of friends or whatever, but there's going to be something that I aspire to be more like you in some way. Like there's people like I aspire to be more personable and they're wonderfully personable people that remember th- personal things about people that I struggle with. Cause I'm so much, much up here at the top level that I don't drill down and I want to be a little bit more like them. Right? So I can be better at, at podcasting than you, but you better better at something because everybody is, and everybody should qualify, but they never will, right? Everybody is a freaking genius at something, waiting to tap into it. But I'm looking for the people that figured at least one of those things out, and are really doing something with it. Or right? I, and it's not being an egotist or whatever. Like, how many people can you have that you have that relationship with? And I don't know what the number is, but it's not a thousand. I can't keep up with a thousand people on a regular basis. So there's some limit to that number. So there must be some mechanism of filtering as a business person. My mechanism for filtering how many people get a product is a price, right? And the price to pay to be in like truly in an inner circle is that there's some way that you make me better as a man. And I hope that I'm doing something that makes you better as a man or a woman at the same time. And if I'm not, then I feel like I'm not upholding my side of that agreement. Even if we don't have a formal agreement, like that's, I think what among successful people, there's this innate understanding of that type of agreement that we will both lift each other in some way and not just lift a challenge, right? Like actually like make the person like think, man, fuck, I thought I was good at this. I suck. Look how good they are at this thing.
2: If you don't find yourself asking yourself, what the fuck am I doing here with these guys? You need to be with them different guys. I have people in my life that I truly perform when I do things, I do them in a manner as to what these people will think about how I did it because I want to be more included with them. I want them to invite me places, right? Pull me up. And then I find myself again, what am I doing here with these people? And if you don't have that, you need some different people. Like that needs to happen occasionally in your life. The more frequent, the better. Um, But that's, that's just how that is. You're, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I have people that have are around me and I'm like, I am a better person when I am next to Josh. I am a better person when I am around Pierre. I have people in to have conversations because I'll be dead set on doing something and I will invite the people that will, I think are going to try to change my mind and tell me why that's a bad idea. Like you need this board of directors in your life, right? You need the people that have your best interest at hand. And I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I need you to tell me what I'm missing and why we're not doing this. And everybody should have those people. And if you don't, you need to find those people.
1: You know, they say dress for the job you want in business. It's the same with your the people you hang out with. Yes. Be around people that are doing things that you want to learn how to do or that you want to do. And then instead of must be nicing them to death, ask them how they did it. Right. Ask like, them how they did it. They're, they're happy to share. Usually they're like excited somebody actually noticed and asked rather than saying, you know, must be nice.
2: Yes, we are very excited when somebody genuinely wants to have a conversation about how to do something, especially if we feel like you will
0: actually do it. Go do it. Yeah.
1: Some A conversation I had in June Self-Reliance Festival was with Drac and you that I overheard that I haven't finished executing on it but it was one of the most exciting conversations for me there is when he explained John how you go to a trade show and everything that you have packed is packed in a way that it comes out in a specific order and goes up and it goes back in that order making you super efficient and I heard that and I thought this is why I work so hard you know one of the things about the set up and tear down self reliance festival is that's not it's it was more in place this time but I had just spent days getting ready for self-reliance festival because we played the where's the game. Yeah. Yeah. The, and the where's the game messes you up. But it, I heard that and I thought that's exactly right. Like the PA system needs to be lined out that way. We took most of the stuff home. We're going to actually come out and get another truckload to, to get it into that state so that next time it's even easier and it's inventory and it's ready to go. Uh that would have never happened had I not been standing there listening to to Drac talk about what he admired about you.
2: So I think the most important thing when we show up at a trade show, um, guys are like, are you ready for the show? What about the pr-? I'm like, I don't care anything about the product at a show. We are there to perform. And they're like, what do you mean? I go every person that came to this show. And there's going to be 10,000 people that came directly because my company is at that show. I'm going to engage, look them in the eyes, and speak to them as long as they want to have a conversation. I am at a show to talk to the people that came to see us. It is a performance. I am there to perform and give them whatever it is that they need while they are there. And I don't know anything about sales or money or product at all. People don't come into my booth at a trade show to talk about product. They come to talk to us. And I texted several people Saturday morning. I'm like, bring it. And they're like, what do you, and they knew what I meant. I'm like, yeah. every person here could be someplace else right now, but they chose to be here. So we have to give them exactly what they asked for plus more.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think that's something it's easy to forget or we get so locked in the detail that we don't see that bigger picture. Yes. And it's when you open yourself up that that accident, the, the accidental thing that happens where somebody's walking by, like I had a guy moved to uh, near Summertown from Washington state and he said, how do I find community? And I saw somebody else walk by who I knew lived within, you know, an hour, half an hour, an hour of him. And I said, well, you talk to her. You two need. Where do you live? Where do you live? That's that's your start. Start hanging out because you will you will have a community in a month if you do. And you know you always like the universe provides. It was just boom. I saw that happen so many times this weekend, and and it's just it's always fun to watch. I think.
2: Yeah. Do do the things that you believe are the right things. Show them, and the right people will show up. It's you know, this weekend I took I probably did 50 times when people were like, hey, can I see your rabbit set up? And never did I say no until the very last one at eight o'clock at night. Some dude's yeah. like, hey, are you kind of a, are you kind of a recluse? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I want to see the rabbit set up and I haven't been able to find you. I go, you didn't try hard enough because I've done it. For yeah. I've been and standing by the like, rabbit like, all day. literally only one dude that I didn't do that for because we were shutting down. And I had something I had to do right then. Yeah. But and, and the real answer is fifty people were able to do what you were not able to do.
1: Yeah. You
0: didn't want and it that, hard enough.
1: That requires getting over the shy, too. How do you take positive action when there is anxiety from Freedom Media Corporation?
2: I don't understand anxiety, so I I really can't answer that. Like I don't I don't know. And you might ask my wife, and she might pinpoint my anxieties. But if you ask me, I don't know what the I don't think I have anxieties. I don't think I have, I don't know, I don't know that I've ever experienced it. I mean, I I was federal search warrant execution explosives of, you know, CNN three days go to prison looking at eleven years. I probably had some anxiety right there, but I was on bail for twenty four months and really built my life to what I wanted to be in that twenty four months with all. I would literally forget. And sometimes I'd be out doing things. I'd be like, oh, man, I got to go to prison. Maybe I had some anxiety there. But I have zero anxiety now. Come, there's nothing happening in my life compared to what I've already done. So I don't I don't know.
1: John, what's You're, the name of that Star Wars critter that's right by your freeze dryer? Because I forget. One. A tong A tong. So here's what happened to me last week because I do get anxiety. I... We, we got there Wednesday night. I, I think I checked in at SOE and then I went to, to, to the event headquarters, which was at our Airbnb with internet and a printer. And that night, or maybe it was Thursday night. I don't remember which I did not sleep at like, and when I did sleep, cause I did sleep a little bit, I had dreams and the weirdest dream was that tactical and I were setting up for self-reliance festival and a tong tong eight tactical. Well, that's
2: highly possible.
1: Okay. Talk, it ate tactical and it was coming after me. And that's all I remember. And then I, I got to get up at like 530 to get going on the event. So I do, and I walk in and Amanda's like, how'd it go? And I'm like, I had the weirdest dream. Now I haven't seen Star Wars for like 20 years. Yeah. Cause you and wouldn't I had no idea where this now. Star Wars character came to. And it was like halfway through SR. So it's like, Oh, there's a Star Wars character. And I look. And it's the one from my dream. So somehow in my subconscious, I saw that on Wednesday night. My my brain somehow knew that that was there. But in answer to the question, I went through all of that. And what I did was I got up the next morning when I was supposed to, had a cup of coffee, and went on with my life. And it was actually Thursday night that that happened because Jack was already in town because he heard me talk. I was like, I had this weird dream. Tauntauns are bit. vegans, man. It won't eat
0: tactical. Won't I eat know, tactical.
1: but it it ain't tactical.
2: <laughs> and they ride around him on horses where they're on ice planets. Yeah. And they actually sliced one open and put Luke Skywalker
0: inside. Oh, I remember of it that. And yeah. And that might so, be where you got the whole human inside the tauntaun thing. But it actually. But saved. if anybody was going to be eaten or trampled to
2: death by a, a large ruminant, it would definitely be tactical. It's tactical. So. <laughs>
0: So I like to shortcut 10 years of mental therapy, uh, and drugs with like simple rules when it comes to like psychological conditions people suffer from. And I'm not belittling it. I know there are some that are very, very serious, but often things like, well, I have anxiety. Well, welcome to the human race. Yeah. So there's a, here's a simple cure for anxiety. You, you, you do, you ask one question and then you take one action. Yeah. Okay. So the question is, can I do anything about this? If the answer is yes, then you do the thing that you can do. If the answer is no, then you go on with your fucking life. I think that, I think that we spend it. a lot There's of- no other thing to do when you come to a point of anxiety in your life or fear. Like, what can I do about this? Nothing. Then fuck it. Go do other things. This thing. Do something. Then do that thing and then go on with your life. And I know it sounds like you're way oversimplifying it but someone come up with a better system and then I'll adopt it.
1: I mean, and I have sympathy for the physical pain that you have. Like I was really close to throwing up that morning after that dream. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I have nothing to worry about at this event. There's a great team. Like we've we have our stuff more together than ever, but I'm, I got to keep going. I don't feel good, but I, I know that I'm not physically ill. I just know that I feel ill right now. And it went away within about two hours.
2: If we, believe, if we believe that what we put a lot of thought and energy into manifests, I believe that a lot of the problem is created by the dwelling on it rather than doing something else. When you have physical movement, it releases endorphins, and a lot of times it fixes the mental problems. I would say, go join a CrossFit gym. Go start walking. Go running. Right? If something t- to me, six years ago and I spend every morning waking up and I spend all night dreaming about it. Chances are that's gonna fucking happen to me again because I put enough time into it believing that. Maybe I should put some time into believing I can be physically fit or whatever my next goal is. And and it's that it's that whole manifestation thing. Maybe, and I don't know, but maybe a lot of people with problems manifest their problems by dwelling on the so you're just in a perpetual you were actually creating the shit that's happening in your head.
1: Okay, so um in in chat I was asked if a, I had gotten a fortune in email. And and I went to my email and I looked and it's hilarious. So I'm going to read it to you all. It says blessed are the children for they shall inherit the national debt. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't think more needs to be said about that, but thanks was for sending the that to me an Anxiety
0: thing though, that took me right back to my old man when I was a kid. And I found out about the national debt. I say kid, like I was in my teens and I had an economics class and I found out about the national debt. Ah, national debt. he said, I ain't paying it, you ain't paying it, we ain't never paying it. Fuck it. All right. That's exactly the rules for anxiety. What can I do about that? Nothing. And we're probably not going to ever pay it anyway. There'll be some sort of economic rebasing. We're never paying that shit off.
1: Aren't we in the middle of rebasing right now?
0: Oh, of course we are. Again, <laughs> again. If you don't understand how many times we did this five times. Like 1913 was the first of five rebasings
1: of the dollar. So we won't. I really like pay. I like Lynn Scobie's comment right now. Depression is living in the past. Anxiousness is living in the future. Live in the present. That sounds like a John Willisism. It just does. He's always like, live for now, be in the now.
0: There is only now, and now is always becoming more now.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: That's true. It's true. I mean, I can tell you all the cool
2: shit I did when I was 18. I think I've done a lot more cool shit at 45. I mean, there's always them dudes talking about that football game they played, and you're like, that was more than half of your life ago. If If you want people to be interested in what you're doing, you have to do interesting things.
1: So Evan Dixon asks, should I have somebody, a separate person running checkout and only focus on discussions with customers? You absolutely
2: should. You absolutely should because I always give discounts and I give discounts to people and at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I probably gave out $5,000 in discounts and I don't even know these people. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Somebody else should take your sales. You can talk about it. You are the front man. They are there to get the knowledge from you. Somebody else who is not you who is going to charge exactly what is in your Shopify store or whatever program and apply zero discount. You don't ever discount anything. You don't ever put anything on sale. You can up value. You can add to, but do not like there, there's always like Andy Frisella talks about that a lot, Evan. Um, so you have a lot less money at the end of the show and you don't even know the person that you gave those discounts to. You only have a finite amount of product. I know that you sold almost everything you brought. Yes. And that's, and that's the nice thing about it. You will see, I will talk to people, but Cody or Amanda does the sales or whoever we take to a show that handles the sales. Somebody who is not me.
1: Yeah, I had that. So at the exit and build land summit in May, Jack was there and he watched this go down. I had a booth. I'm also speaking at the event. When you speak at the event, people want to talk to you about things. And, Despite the fact that Jack required that people buy coffee for me on their way out to be able to ask him more questions, I did shitty at that show. And the reason I did shitty is somebody had to take the money and everybody who bought coffee to me wanted to talk for 5 minutes and the people waiting in line went away. And and that and I had made the decision not to bring a second person with me. Because I thought I could handle it on my own, and I physically can, but it completely undercut what I would have made at that show to not have somebody, not have Mama Sauce or somebody like her at the booth. And you will notice I was not selling coffee at my booth this weekend.
0: We also didn't get that opportunity till the end. That's what really screwed that up. I didn't even realize she wasn't selling well. I'm like, shit. If I knew that, I would have done that shit on day one.
2: Put up red ropes, funnel them through. You want to talk to me? You got to go through the line first. Yeah. Me and, your, and bring me your it, bag
0: of, of coffee. But you needed somebody to take the money down. That's what she's saying. Yeah.
2: And also, Evan, that's that's for a product where you have consumables, right? If you have yeah. if you have a non-consumable product, we can we can move whatever to make it happen, especially if you're after a, an amount of money or you need to fund something. But on a consumable product, you have a finite cost on it. And if it is selling, do not put it on discount. And if it's not selling and you need it to sell – then we can be creative with that. But your product sells everything. I Evan sold all the shit he had to bring here before he ever got here and had to bring more stuff.
0: That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. It gets me like when I do my, my workshop, it's a very finite number of seats, right? So even though it's a non-material product, it's a finite thing. And you'll say like it's going to sell out in five minutes, half an hour, or something like that. And if you have people like, well, if I do a couple, can you do a discount for couples? Really? Like...
1: You eat the same amount.
0: Yeah. Well, and and well, why would you – even if they didn't, why would I discount something that sells out, you know, in an hour or less? Why would you – like that's just a bad business decision, you know, like really terrible business decision to do that. Because then what you're doing is you're diluting what you're selling to the people that paid full price, right? Like I have a certain obligation when you come here of what I need to do for you. And that's why I have these very clear rules of like your happiness subject to not being a loon or something is my responsibility from the minute you walk in my gate till Sunday morning when I tell you, you get the fuck out, right? Like that's my job. So when people are like, well, can I get a shuttle to the airport? I'm like, no, no, I, there's a three acre space Super. that you're allowed on. And when you come through that gate, baby, it's It's on me to deliver what I promised, and the second you walk on the other side of it, you're a grown ass man or woman, you're on your own and In the beginning, I think people didn't really take to that because they were so used to events where they organized that and I'm like, look, I have a group for you, you guys can coordinate, you're adults, you can do it on your own, and that way, I'm not trying to balance two sides of a moving part, like I have my thing, my wheelhouse, and what I do, and I think a lot of like that's an analogy to a lot of businesses like you need to know what it is that you do and what you're responsible for. And, like, so if you sell a product and it could have a consulting component with it, that's a different thing. And either you let somebody else do it or you charge for it. I'm not going to spend four hours consulting with you on a product you paid me $200 for. Because you can't get an hour of consulting for me. for two, We're not even in the, like, I don't even want to do it. But we're talking thousands of dollars before I even talk about consulting on something.
1: Yeah,
2: I always but, you know I've been growing. Go ahead. I always put a price on it that I think they won't take, and then they always accept it. That sucks.
0: I've done yeah. that. Like it's ten grand. Yeah. Okay, shit.
2: Now
0: I well, do
1: it. I mean, choose a price you're happy to do the work for, Jack. I have been growing hollerose seriously for five years since. My first presentation at Jack Spearco's workshop launched it right after that. I'd already been selling coffee and my coffee has been on sale at a discount zero times. The, now, if you Friday. log into Jack's MSB, there is a coupon code. I will work with personalities, right? That's but I, I have Forever. never had a Black Friday sale because then I, I thought it would dilute the brand. It would. So what
0: you have with me or anybody else you ever do it with me is you have a fixed cost advertising program. Yeah. That's what a discount through a private membership club is. It's not really a discount. It's a fixed cost advertising program. So if you were going out buying Google AdWords, for instance, and pushing traffic to your site, you wouldn't say that you're discounting because you're spending money on marketing and advertising. But you'd have a variable cost depending on how well your traffic converted where when you do a discount agreement with a private membership association, you have a fixed cost of acquisition for customers and you're in control of that. You decide what that number looks like. Uh, but my first piece of advice to you was?
1: Raise my prices.
0: But, and did I know what your price was? Yes. I did not. Oh,
1: I thought when you I, did. I you know, guess you didn't listen to my my presentation. My,
0: my but yeah. first time that I told you to raise yeah. your price, I didn't even Raise know your
1: price you $2, $2 and I went like this.
0: Yeah. I said yeah. nothing. Yeah. Actually bit my lips. Like just raise your price two bucks right now. Like I don't need to know. The fact that you were selling the way you were before you had any real traction meant that you were undercharging.
2: I had breakfast yeah. with James Yeager for three years every morning and we, there was a hundred times probably when guys would be grumbling about needing more money or whatever. So we'd talk about their product. It was oftentimes knife makers. Do you sell everything you make? Does it sell out in five minutes? Raise your prices. And James would get all serious. He's like, you know what happened every time I raised my prices? And the first few times I'm like waiting to hear what this was. He's like, I made more fucking money. And that was always the answer. It wasn't some deep shit. Like if you can't, yeah. if you sell, if you can't get enough of it, raise the price, deal with higher-end customers.
0: Well, and so you'll either make more money or you'll make the same amount of money doing less work. Yep. Yep. Both of those are good things. Like, I would rather sell less units of something and make the same profit. Right. Because I will also do a better job of taking care of the customer before, during, and after the sale because I'm spread less thin. And like this whole goal, like, so one of the things I learned when I kind of moved into the business space when I skipped university was, you know, the concept of a pricing curve. And if you price a product perfectly, you'll be on the backside of the curve. And what I mean by that is if you charge so little for a product relative to what it is, nobody will buy it because they assume it's dog shit or it wouldn't be that cheap. And if you start increasing the price, you'll you'll sell more, you'll sell more, you'll sell more, you'll sell more, and you'll hit a peak like where you have the price perfect to sell the maximum number of units, and then your job is to continue to increase the price until you begin to track up the backside of the curve, but not till you crash because it will crash eventually too, right? So you find the backside of that curve. And the interesting thing is the most pain-in-the-ass, time-consuming, miserable customers are the ones that bail on you. So not only do you end up with an optimal profit per unit sold, the highest ARPU you can get while maintaining the volume of sales, you filter out without ever having to speak to them, the shittiest customers that there
2: are. 10% of your customers will take 80% of your time. And that's that's always the thing. And, And then you do find that sweet spot. Like Mission Knives was building a titanium knife. They had a contract with EOD guys for low magnetic signature knives. It was a pretty neat product. But they were selling them, I think, at like $125, and they weren't selling for shit. They hired this huge marketing research firm to come in, do this six-month study, and they came back and were like, you have to sell $99.95 or $299.95, either choice. They raised it to $299.95, and in a, in a 90-day period, they sold more of those knives than they had in the last 24-month cycle, just by raising. It's just perception of value it's it's where you have that low end 99 guy and you have the guy that thinks that because it costs it's in this price range and that was the one they chose. So if you don't have massive volume and capacity, don't ever be that low got that low price guy.
1: I do want to talk to three tier membership guy. Less <laughs> is more. Less is more. You have to manage them if you have 3 do you want to manage three tiers or do you want to manage one tier? Think about that in your workflow.
0: You know, I don't even have tiers, but when I started, and I've left it because there are customers at each one, but I had the option to pay monthly, quarterly, twice a year, or once a year. 95% of my people pay annually. I don't even talk. They're still there. I don't want to turn off the revenue from the people that have those other tiers, but I don't even talk about it anymore. I push everything to annual because that's what people buy. And even if you do three tiers, you're going to find that everybody's going to buy or most people are going to buy one of those tiers. And you also might find off you turned off a lower cost one, that just as many people would buy the higher cost ones, but they're buying the lower cost one because it's even there.
2: And not only that, I mean, if you have a, if you have a, we have a membership on YouTube where you can see private videos and the more you pay, the more you get access to. And we had a dollar membership and we had a $5 membership and we're putting a third, a third level in. We were so busy that we literally were spending 12 hours on two days, six hours for two days, just answering questions. And most of them were the same. So we've just, we still have that. You get to see it. You just don't get to ask the questions at the dollar level. And a lot of times when you turn off that lower level, Your performance on the higher end customers is better because they feel more elite. They have access to something. And that really is what it all comes down to is how much access do you give
0: people to you? Now, I will add real quick when it's like soft product, like I am totally about in an info marketing segment, like, you know, you sell a thing and then you upsell from that thing. Or if they say no, you downsell from that thing and you cross sell from that thing and you automate all that shit. That's fine. But when you're tiering basically like you're calling a product a membership and you're tiering it out of the gate, I would rather sell it like this and say, Hey, we have a like, then I'll back, maybe then I'll back sell you some sort of premium access, but I don't really want to give the choice going in.
1: That's a good point. Okay. We got a few more questions here and, and looks like we're getting towards the end of it. yeah. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the comment, the Platon Guild class was great. Thanks for putting it together. John, thanks for helping me talk to Billy about my nursery. Awesome. Welcome. <laughs> Hi, Nicole. Are you ready for the great coffee bean shortage? Always ready. Okay. Um, if anybody wants to know more about that, uh, coffee is going to go up in price in the next year or so. <laughs> There's been some crop yeah, failures. It's, it's, it's so not as problem. bad as they say. But a lot of the larger coffee providers have bought up things that they don't usually just in case, which means coffee roasters at my level have a hard time sourcing it, but we've known it was coming for a whole year already. We've known it's coming for a year. So I have some stores. If my if my um, business triples in the next six months, then I'll have an issue. But I won't be sad if it triples in the next six months
2: survivalizer talking about your your tears and having that higher level so it pushes people you might find that a lot of people will just accept that we put something called expensify on some of our products when we would put new products out and all it did was cost you know whatever whatever the cost was we usually added it about 20 percent more so you would pay us 20 percent more and it literally did nothing tons of people gave us the 20 percent more nobody ever asked what they got they just did it so we have we have an app on our we have an app embedded in our shop where you can tip us. Now it only lets you tip uh, up to I think twenty percent. I wholeheartedly believe people would tip thirty fifty if they would let it. I, I guess it has to do with money laundering or something why they don't. But I'm always very amazed when I look through the orders how many tips are on there. Now we always try to put something in there for the tip, like we do try to, but that's not agreed upon. They just do it. So if you give the people ability to give you money, many of them will give you money because they believe in what you're doing. Or maybe in their head, they hope they're going to get a better performance or something, perhaps. But if you have the ability for them to give you money and make it easy for them, they will do it.
1: Funny how that works. Okay, I've got a last question here. Is there a date for the next Self-Reliance Festival? John, is there a date?
2: Yes, and everybody asks me that and I say there is and I don't know when it is. It's, it's yeah, in, it's, how do they
1: find out the date, John?
2: Matt, if, I don't know, if we had a website. Um, it's in March. <laughs> March what? It is March.
1: 25 and 26. I know the date. Uh, I needed to double check. Um, so there are some other festivals that we all ended up next to each other that we don't necessarily want to do that. So it is possible that date would shift a little bit, but I have already sent it out to folks. Um, and I had, nobody said no. So I'm locking it at, at the, the, at that weekend of March 26th. And unless I find out I put it on top of, you know, spags event or something. So
2: just to, just to brag about this a little bit as well, there are people that had events much larger than our event and presented and then shot in here and presented at our event. They they literally drove multi-states from their own event to come and be at
1: our event. Yep, and we appreciate that. Yes. Yep. Awesome. Well, anything else before? Let's go once around the horn and then sign off. I'll start with you, John.
2: All these shirts we're all wearing, they come from special operations equipment. We put out a different design every single week. If you like them, they are on the website, soetacticalgear.com. I'm on YouTube almost every night at nine o'clock. We do a live video and the link just depends on your guys' interaction. We can talk just, just almost about anything. Instagram and TikTok are very different content, short form content, stuff you won't see other places. And, uh, that's it.
1: Ah.
0: You can find everything survival podcast related at TSPC.co. That'll just redirect you to the survival podcast.com, but you can, Type less letters and spend your time doing something else. You find everything we've been doing almost fifteen years now, over thirty seven hundred episodes, and uh, we're going to keep cranking on for at least another decade or two. So we'll always be there. Come check us out. We're doing something that you will be interested in. If you're like, have you, I got to email it here while it's going. I don't know about rabbits. Put rabbits in the search box. You'll find lots of information. Thousands. <laughs>
1: lots of information about rabbits. Guys, I do a podcast. It's called Living Free in Tennessee, and it's on any podcatcher that I have learned about. If, if it's not on yours, let me know, and I will do what I can to get it on there. LivingFreeInTennessee.com is the website. And I do have another class coming up this fall, October 28th and 29th. We are doing a Food Forest install. This is an event where there's camping on site. Nick Ferguson's teaching the class. We're talking about how we came up with the plan for it and why it took five years in my permaculture plan to figure out the where and how of it so that you understand what we considered. And we feed you three meals a day and have a pretty good time. So if you're interested in a ticket for that, that's at livingfreeintennessee.com. On the cell phone, scroll down a couple of posts. It's there on your computer. It's on the right-hand side. I've got a few tickets left. Not many. We're almost sold out. But that's my next focus for the month. Uh, thanks for joining us and we will, we'll see you next week for the usual Wednesday Live. Awesome. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you
0: down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way.